This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Today we're looking at Exodus 4, verses 1 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I? The Lord. Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he could speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him, and I will put the words in his mouth, and I will be your mouth, and with his mouth. Then we'll teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. We give thanks to the Lord for his word. Let's pray and ask God's help as we study the scriptures together. Father, we thank you for this passage that we have read and pray for your spirit to lead us into understanding it and to applying it. And Father, we thank you uh, for what it tells us about you and what it tells us about Moses. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As Stephen in Acts chapter 7 uh, describes these events of the Old Testament leading up to his martyrdom at the hands of the Jews, He refers to Moses as a man mighty in words and deeds. Well, as you read the rest of Exodus, you you know what Stephen is talking about. 
But as we encounter Moses' interaction with the Lord in the burning bush here, you get a very different impression of the man. Now, the Lord is talking to Moses. Moses has uh, heard from the Lord that he is to return to Egypt, which he left 40 years before, and to lead Israel out of Egypt. Now, he's already offered two objections to this. Uh, earlier in chapter 3, verse 11, his, his inadequacy, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Uh, he refers in verse 13 to his inability. You know, if I come to the people and say, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they say, what's his name? What shall I say to them? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. So already Moses is putting up resistance to the Lord's plan for what he wants him to do. In, in this passage we've just read, we encounter three more. Three more objections, three more expressions of reluctance on Moses' part to obey God's call. Now, if we put these in general terms, and we look at them historically as what Moses said, but those things can be put generally, I think we'll see uh, that those are some of the very same things that may go through our minds. Some of the very same concerns you might have about yourself, or maybe that in the past you had, uh, when God presented you with an opportunity one way or another to serve him. So let's look at these and learn what we can, not just from what Moses says, but certainly from what the Lord says. The first objection, the first uh, obstacle that Moses raises to the Lord in this passage, again, there's already been two, uh, is simply his ineffectiveness. In verse uh, 1, as the Lord has said all this to Moses, Moses answers the Lord, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Moses thinks that he'll be ineffective, that he'll go back, he'll say these things, and they just won't believe him. And would you? Someone comes and says, well, I saw this bush, it was on fire, and it was talking to me, and I have a message for you now. I mean, think about it. Sounds a little sketchy, right? So Moses anticipates that the people just will say, the Lord didn't appear to you. What do you mean, Moses? This is crazy. And it's not an unreasonable objection. The others were not unreasonable, and the Lord very patiently answers them, because they're not unreasonable concerns. The Lord is, is patient, and again, in his patience, he addresses this concern that Moses raises. It's a valid concern. The people won't listen to me. It'll, the whole thing will be ineffective. Notice how God responds. God says, well, Moses, I'm going to give you some proofs, some evidence, some things that you can show the people that will indicate to them that, in fact, I have spoken to you, and the things you were saying is true. Uh, verse 2, the Lord says, what's that in your hand? And Moses has his shepherd's crook there, his staff. He says, it's a staff. The Lord says, well, throw it on the ground. So he does. He tosses it on the ground. Then it became a snake. And understandably, Moses startled, ran away from it, got away from it. The snake, this living snake on the ground. The Lord says to Moses, put out your hand and catch it. If you were going to try to grab a snake on the ground, where would you grab it? That may not that thought to do that may not have occurred to any of you, but you grab it where? You grab it right at the head, right behind the head, right? Right behind the teeth, where the teeth can't come around and get you. 
The Lord says grab him by the tail, which means that snake can whip back around and strike. And that's you know a, a huge act of faith, but he does it. He reached out his hand, he caught the snake by the tail, but before that snake can whip back around and bite him, it stiffens back into his shepherd's staff. Well, that's pretty startling. And notice the purpose of it. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. The purpose of it is, uh, as with Jesus' miracles later, was to indicate that this was a work of God. Uh, It wasn't just a sideshow trick, but it was something to, on the one hand, get people's attention. Uh, These are referred to as signs. You you think of signs and wonders. A wonder is meant to startle. It's meant to get attention. But these are signs uh, to indicate something. So it's, it's to prove to the people that God, their covenant God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to them. But he has something else he wants to show them. The Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. And he does that. He pulls it out, and it's leprous, like snow, apparently white. Now, the, the term for leprosy can refer, can refer to what we would today call Hansen's disease, or strictly speaking, leprosy. But it was sometimes used of other kinds of skin ailments or diseases, which it may have been something other than Hansen's disease, which doesn't necessarily turn you white, although in some cases it could. Uh, but at any rate, he, he has this disease, and it doesn't comment on it, but you can imagine Moses' horror on seeing himself in this condition. Uh, whether it was Hansen's disease or some other disease, it was, it was, it was ghastly. But the Lord says, put your hand back, and he does, and it's restored. God says, well, if they don't listen to the first, maybe they'll listen to the second, but if they don't listen to either of those, take some water, not just any water, but water from the Nile, and pour it out. The water you take will become blood on the dry ground. Now, he doesn't actually ask him to perform this because he's nowhere near the Nile River. But the Lord just says, if they don't believe the other two, then this is what you're to do. And the implication is that will finally seal the deal. In the, in the event, it doesn't give us a lot of information about how all that went when Moses went back to the Israelites. Uh, but the Lord gives them these signs, and they are significant, because they're significant for Egypt. The snake, the Pharaoh, even on his headdress, had a snake or a cobra. Uh, poised to strike, that, that symbolized the, the strength, the fierceness of Egypt and the attack on Egypt's enemies. And yet, the snake is shown to be just this uh, creature of God, his power over the snake, over the serpent. Uh, the whole problem with leprosy or disease in, in Egypt uh, is shown to be under the Lord's control. Things Egyptians could do nothing about. The Lord can create. The Lord can remove. And then certainly uh, the water from the Nile River, the Nile being uh, not only essential to Egypt agriculturally and economically in its rising and falling, renewing the soil, providing fertility, but was sacred to the Egyptians. And the Lord taking the water of the Nile, the life of Egypt, and turning it into blood, you know, so sort of symbolic for death, uh, is important. Now remember, these signs are not for Egypt, not at this point. They are for the Israelites. 
But uh, as you know, you know the rest of the story, uh, these, these signs will come into play later on toward the Egyptians as well. But Moses pleads his ineffectiveness. What if I go and they just don't believe me? The Lord says, we'll give them these signs to show that I have met with you. That's a concern we often have. The Lord calls us in various ways to serve him in whatever role it might be, in the home, in the church, outside of the church. Will, will anything happen? Will anything be accomplished? Will they believe me? What will happen? Well, the Lord may not have you throwing staffs on the ground, but the Lord has his ways of validating his call on your life. A second, uh, a second objection that Moses has uh, is, is that of just sheer incompetence. They won't believe me. This is the first thing he says here. But then the second thing uh, that he has, this objection, is in verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord. He's being very polite. Realize he's, he's, this, is, this conversation is going on for some time. I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. Again, very humble here. To your servant. But also a little bit ironic, he calls him Lord, refers to himself as his servant, all in the while of trying to get out of what his Lord wants his servant to do. So a little bit ironic. But, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. I just don't talk so well. I'm not a public speaker. I'm not quick on my feet. There have been various things um, contemplated as to what Moses had in mind here. Some had suggested, you know, it's been 40 years since he was speaking Egyptian. You know, and as any of you who've studied another language know, if you don't use it, you lose it. Yeah, some of you, you know, lost it in four years, let alone 40, but uh, it's been a long time since he was moving in Egyptian circles. Some have speculated that. However, the text itself seems to belie that because um, Moses said, I'm not eloquent either in the past. So maybe when he was good with his Egyptian, he just he was not quick on a speed. He was just not a good speaker. And he's contemplating going into Pharaoh, going into the court, entering into negotiations, having to answer objections, having to answer arguments, and it just overwhelms him. He's just simply not up to the task, at least in his own estimation. I just don't have the strength to do it. I'm not able. Slow of speech. Well, again... That's a reasonable objection. Lord, I just am not able to do what you want me to do. But notice what the Lord says to him. He comes back to him in verse 11. Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? In other words, what God is saying is you are the way you are because I made you the way you are. I know what your abilities to speak are, Moses. That's no no news to me, and yet you are the man that I've chosen and am calling to this task, knowing full well what your speaking abilities are or are not. The Lord knows. This isn't some surprise to the Lord. Oh, well, you're right, Moses. Maybe, Maybe you're not the right man. Maybe not. The Lord says, look, I make people the way they are, which, by the way, is a whole sermon in and of itself. But the Lord knows what Moses' capabilities are, and yet he is the man that he has called for this task. And he assures him in verse 12, Therefore go, I will be with your mouth. I will teach you what you should speak. Which sounds a lot like, you know, when Jesus was talking to his disciples. 
And he says, you know, when you're dragged before kings, dragged before authorities, don't be anxious about what you will say. The Holy Spirit will lead you in what you should say. You know, it's, it's the same thing. The Lord's saying, I'll be with you. I'll teach your mouth what to say. Exactly what he says to Moses here. Go, I'll be with your mouth. I'll be with you, be with your mouth. Uh, I'll teach you what you should speak. Boy, what better assurance could you have than that? The Lord says, I'll, I'll help you. It's going to be okay. Which is what he's been saying all along. Remember earlier, back in chapter 3, all his objection in verse 11, the Lord says, but I'll be with you. You're not going alone. You're not speaking alone. I will be with you, Moses. I'm calling you to this. I'll help you do it. The reality is, the Lord doesn't need Moses to be eloquent, to be quick on his feet, or anything else. Now, maybe Moses is just being overly pessimistic about his abilities. Maybe, uh, maybe he's just being very humble here. Uh, I don't think so. I think Moses has a real point here, and certainly in reality sees himself in this way. But the Lord says, I will be with you. And that's true in anything that we do. I mean, ultimately, the Lord doesn't need our capabilities. He can work through them, and he can work in spite of our lack of them. If the Lord has called you to do something, he will be with you and help you to do that. And so Moses plea of incompetence is, is answered, again, patiently by the Lord. But, at this point, the Lord's patience is running thin. Because now we really get down to the point. Um, Moses is kind of like a person who, something is put to him, he's asked to go to something or do something, and he really doesn't want to do it, but he also just seems to want to raise what he thinks are legitimate excuses why he can't do it. You know, you've probably encountered this in sales calls or something, you know, where every objection you raise is shot down. And finally, you just have to say, no, no, I don't want to buy that. I don't want to do that. Uh, after every excuse and objection is, is, is leveled. Well, that's kind of where Moses is. And he really gets to the point here in verse 13. We've seen his plea of ineffectiveness. We've seen his plea of incompetence. Finally, we come to his statement of unwillingness. He just doesn't want to do it. And that's in verse 13. Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then Hebrew, the word, the wording is, is not, a, it is not an explicit denial. The ESV, I think, captures it, certainly captures the point of it fairly well. Um, but Moses says something like, you know, please send anyone of your choosing with what's unsaid is except me. Yeah. But the point is, not me, send someone else. Here I am, Lord, send him, right? Uh, what a contrast, by the way, to Isaiah, who does say, here I am, send me. Or to Paul, upon his conversion, his call, and, and having to go through that process of completely reworking his understanding of the Old Testament, now in light of who he understands Jesus to be, and yet his willingness to, to go. And, and Moses is, is very reluctant. He says, just, maybe it has to be done, but send anybody else but me to do it. And notice in verse 14, the Lord's been patient, but now his anger flares up. He's getting irritated with Moses. Because every other objection Moses has raised has some legitimacy to it. It's, it's a reasonable thing to bring up. But now Moses is just saying, Lord, I don't want to do it. 
I just don't want to do it. It's, it almost is an act of defiance, of disobedience. And the Lord is angry. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And yet, we notice still, grace, mercy, and help. He said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Now, why the Lord says that, we don't know, other than maybe just knowing Aaron, because uh, he made Aaron. I know I've made him to be able to speak well. Again, answering that objection that Moses has. Behold, he's coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he'll be, he'll be glad in his heart. Glad to see Moses, no doubt, but also glad because of the message, the news that Moses has. You shall speak to him. Put the words in his mouth. I'll be with your mouth, with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people. He shall be your mouth. You shall be his God to him. This is an interesting arrangement. God is saying, you know, as he is the one giving the prophets the message, and they are the human mouthpiece, well, God is saying, well, just as I would be to a prophet, well, you, Moses, will be to Aaron. Uh, I'll give you what you need to say, but you give Aaron what to say, and Aaron will speak it, and Aaron will speak it well. Now, there's an interesting dynamic here. If, if you're thinking about this, you think, okay, did what happened? Did we just shift from God's best to God's second best? People sometimes think that when they're struggling with what God's will is for, oh, am I just settling for God's second best? You know, I, I messed up and now God has to just do second best. That is utter nonsense. That is a denial of the providence and sovereignty of God. Do you not think that God is sovereign over your mistakes? Do you not understand that God's providence includes your weaknesses and failures and mistakes? Notice, the Lord says, he is coming out to meet you. You see, even at this point, Aaron was on his way. Because it was God's purpose to work both through Moses and through Aaron. God used both of them. And we weren't settling for second best here. God's purpose, his plan was being worked out, even through Moses' reticence, his reluctance, his objections, and even his refusal. God put together the team of Moses and Aaron that he was going to send to confront Pharaoh. How encouraging that is as you look back over your life, as you see things that you regret, as you feel uh, a sense of loss maybe or, or concern over mistakes or failures or missed opportunities or whatever it is, and you think, oh, if only, you know, what, what the Lord could have done. Well, rubbish. The Lord has you where he wants you. The Lord has worked through you uh, in the ways that he intends to bring about his purposes, to bring about his plans. Uh, thinking along those lines, you think, for example, in the Old Testament of a marriage that probably had one of the most uh, unsavory beginnings of any marriage anywhere at any time. And that's David and, David and Bathsheba. What an uh, unpromising start where, where the marriage that began with adultery that, was, uh, that, that continued through the planned death of her husband, uh, and yet through that the Lord brought Solomon into this world later, and ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God's sovereignty, his purposes include our mistakes, our failures, 
our weakness. You, you don't give yourself credit of being able to mess up so much that you've somehow shifted God into plan B. Just not so. God is sovereign. So his first response to this unwillingness is anger, reacting in anger. His, but also he responds with Aaron, providing Aaron to be with Moses and to work together as a team. But then also the third and last thing in response to Moses' unwillingness is verse 17. And it ends with this. We're back to the staff where we started. Take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Moses had been using that staff, or one like it, for 40 years, four decades, leading sheep around the Midianite wilderness. Now he was to take that humble staff, he was to go back to the Israelites to convince them that God has spoken to Moses and will work through Moses. To convince the Israelites, and ultimately with that same staff, to bring the mightiest nation on earth to its knees. Because it's not Moses. It's not even the staff. It's God. And the staff reminds Moses that it's the Lord who is with him and the Lord who will work through him. What has God called you to do? Now, I'm not talking about going overseas as a missionary, although who knows, it could include that. He's called you to be a child to your parents. He's called you to be parents to your children. He's called you to be a husband to your wife. He's called you to be a wife to your husband. He's called you perhaps to teach Sunday school or to teach in vacation Bible school. He's called you maybe to lead a Bible study or he's called you to befriend a neighbor who doesn't know the Lord. Or he's called you to uh, serve someone, someone at work who uh, generally tends to rub you the wrong way. And, you know, we can raise all of these same objections that Moses raises. Well, it won't make any difference. It'll be ineffective. Or, Lord, I'm incompetent. I, I can't speak. I don't know how to teach. I can't do it. Or even just unwillingness. You know, you keep saying no to the Lord. No to the Lord. And the Holy Spirit prods you gently and say, no. But you see, the Lord answers each time that He is with you. His sufficiency is all you need. His power is behind you. And ultimately, it's not you. It's the Lord. You know, Paul had to learn that lesson. The Lord gave him a vision, raised him up to heaven and allowed him to see and know things that no human being normally would, would know or see. And to keep him from becoming proud, the Lord gave him the thorn in the flesh, as Paul says, a messenger from Satan to buffet me. And he prayed that God would take that away. And you remember the Lord's answer to him. Every time the Lord would say, uh, no. My, my power is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. In fact, you could argue that Moses' objections were the very thing that made him useful to the Lord. That little did Moses know, but every time he was objecting, he was proclaiming his usefulness. Because it was very clear it was not Moses. It was the Lord. And it's the same with us. Yes, God can use your strengths. God can work through your talents and natural abilities. But you see, when God takes your weakness and works through that, how much more is it plain that the glory is his? What is God calling you to do? What is that thing that you tend to go back to the Lord and say, who, me? You may want to reconsider. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you that you do delight to take weak and sinful and ineffective human beings and work through us, Lord, as we trust in you, as we depend on you. We may be afraid, we may be uh, shaking, but Lord, you delight to show your power in our weakness. Father, as, as believers, as families, as a congregation, we pray that we would see you, that when we are weak, we would know that you are strong and that the power would come from you and the glory would be all yours. Father, we see what you accomplished through Moses, and it's, it's absolutely amazing. And yet, Lord, it wasn't Moses. It was you. And Lord, it will not be us, but it will be you. And we give you all the praise and glory. Use us, Lord. Help us to trust in you and use us greatly. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.